Welcome to the OWIC Publishing Offer Spotlight, showcasing books and offers who boldly proclaim the Word of God. Welcome back to another edition of the Author Spotlight, and today we're talking about the book Rapture Delayed with Craig Plants. How's it going, Craig? Yeah, very good. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely. But anyway, let's go ahead and talk about your book here, which is called Rapture Delayed, which um, I have read and is a very fascinating book. Of course, this, uh, as you may guess from the title, it is related to end times. And I know doing videos on YouTube that end times videos gets more views than anything and uh, in the Christian world. And so it's a very important topic, especially with you know, everybody's views. And then, of course, everyone always says this is the last generation. And uh, so we kind of want to start with, before we get into the book itself, what is your approach to the Bible? Uh, sure. You know, my approach to the Bible has uh, changed over the years. Um, you know, I've been in church most of my life. I uh, was uh, taken to church as a young child. If you ever heard that joke, I had a drug problem when I was little. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, Sunday, <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> and so, you know, I spent a lot of time in the church. And, um, you know, what's interesting is is I started teaching Sunday school class, you know, in my mid-20s. And uh never really read the Bible. I mean, if you, if you can believe that or not. You know, I'd occasionally pick it up, but um, really wouldn't spend a lot of time reading it. And I can tell you, trying to teach Sunday school class without being in your Bible and reading it is miserable. And mm -hmm. so, you know, in the year 2000, I decided to make a change. I was uh, 30 years old at the time. I decided I'd start reading my Bible, you know, one time a year was my goal. And uh, I can tell you, when I started picking up the Bible and just simply reading it, like a whole new world was opened up, you know, that I wasn't getting just from teaching uh, even teaching the word or hearing other people people teach the Bible. And so, you know, as I started reading the Bible on my own, it's like starting to learn things that didn't necessarily see before or know that were there. And uh, yeah, and so then my Bible reading increased over the years. And um, so that's my approach now is what I try to tell people is, yeah, you can do Bible studies, you can read commentaries and all that stuff, but I don't think anything matches just simply picking up the Bible and, and daily committing yourself to reading it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so what I do is I've got a uh, chronological Bible. That's what I started with in 2000. And I just basically decided to read it just like a book. Mm -hmm. Chronological Bible, just start at the beginning and then finish it and then start over. Yeah. And, uh yeah, and and so, yeah, so I have completed a lot of laps through the Bible over the year, last 20 years. Yeah, I, I want to comment on that real quick, because uh, last year, actually, um, I read that Bible for the first time at your recommendation. You know, I read the Bible at least one time a year, and I read that one last year, and man, does that make a difference. So it's so much easier to read. It is... Uh, you understand everything in context. You're not going, you know, First Kings, Second Kings, and then you go back and reread the whole stories in First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. It literally puts everything in because each one of those two books focuses on a slightly different thing. And uh, reading that chronological Bible is a huge help. Uh, yeah, because you, yeah, because you can see how God works through the generations. 
and um, mm-hmm. and how he was uh, basically working through Israel and the prophets that he'd send and, you know, what was going on during their time period. And I think even more important is you can start to see that ap- history absolutely repeats itself. Mm, I mean, absolutely. And today you can look back in the Old Testament and see this is nothing new. I mean, the depravity of man and where things are headed, you know, it just seems to cycle that way. So, yeah. All right. So that's just excellent information on just reading the Bible and the approach to the Bible is just to get in there and read it cover to cover or chronological to chronological. And uh, you prefer the King James, of course. Um, I have seen I have seen NLT, NKGV, and I think I've seen an NIV chronological as well. But uh, we won't go into any of those, uh, just for people that don't necessarily like the King James. Although the King James was an excellent experience reading through it, that's the one I personally used. Um, so let's go into our next question: Is what do you hope to teach people through your book? So let's go ahead and summarize your book real quick, which is, as of course we said, Rapture Delayed. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book and what you hope to teach people through it. Ah, sure. You know, I, I, I mean, maybe a lot of times, like with first-time authors, it didn't start with, uh, you know, wanting to uh, write a book. Um, really, my goal was to just understand, you know, end times. Um, because I went to churches that taught the pre-tribulation rapture and, and vigorously. That mm-hmm. um, a doctrine, they call it the doctrine of eminency, where that um, Christ is going to return at any moment without any warning. And um, so as I started reading through the Bible, you know, I started finding these verses that really didn't fit that doctrine. You would call them, I would call them outliers. You know, I'd always scratch my head because, you know, I'd been indoctrinated into that belief system for for decades. And so, so I kept looking at these verses and thinking, you know, I just, I don't understand how this fits. And so, you know, part of my approach to the Bible, you know, in addition to reading it, is to take my questions directly to God. And I do believe God and his spirit can direct his, um, direct his children. And so, you know, instead of asking other men their thoughts and getting even maybe more confused about this, that, and the other, you know, I thought it'd be healthy just to ask God what he, what he thinks. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is I think the Bible is self-correcting. And so if you continue to read it, you're going to get the answers or find the answers that kind of jump out at you as you read through it. And so during the course of of, uh, thinking about these things, I was on a path to try to read the Bible 30 times within a six-year time frame. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I ended up doing that, reading the Bible through 30 times within three and a half years. And during the course of three and a half years, you know, 30 times through the Bible— it was almost like brick by brick, you know, the pieces were being added, you know, the understanding was being added to see how all this stuff fit, fit together. And so what I hope to teach people through the through this book is that, you know, one of the first things Jesus said when he when his disciples came to him and said, hey, can you tell us what the sign of your coming will be and the sign of the end of the world? They, they specifically asked for some details the first things Jesus says as he responds to them is don't be deceived. And so I think there's a lot of deception regarding end times out there. And so what I hope is that people would take a step back from whatever they've been taught, you know, take a look at what the Bible actually says, 
And then, you know, in addition, if you're reading through the Bible on your own and you're starting to see some things that conflict with your end time belief system, you know, maybe start reconsidering what you believe in light of what. And so what I hope to teach people through the book is that, you know, maybe what they believe is going to happen in the end times isn't how it's really going to unfold. And I think the most important aspect of it is I hope to teach the Christians that they need to be on alert and that uh, I think things are going to get very difficult and that persecution will come. And I think the doctrine of eminency that uh, that Christ is going to return and save us from all this stuff, I think is is absolutely a lie that that makes people or will have people they won't be prepared for maybe the hard times that that will come. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's my you know that's my goal is maybe just a preparation type thing is to teach people that you know you got to be watching, right? Yeah, you got to. You, you know, because the Bible says one of the things that people often use is, hey, you know, that, that he says he'll come like a thief in the night. But, you know, if you go look at that scripture, it absolutely says he'll come like a thief in the night, but only if you walk in darkness. And then it specifically says in that same scripture, it says, you, my children, you're not of the night. You're the children of the light, right? That that day will not overtake you unawares. That you'll see it coming if you're paying attention. Yeah, that's so important as I look around at where our culture is going right now and just seeing the things our culture is normalizing. It is fascinating to see how much the antithesis to God is being played out in our culture and how even many professing Christians are just walking blindly right on into it. And it's uh, it's quite interesting and staggering for me. And so that makes a very good point about being prepared, walking in the light. And that's really what's important, I think. Yeah, and I and I would say just, you know, because the next thing somebody that might listen might think was, yeah, but nobody knows the hour and the day. And true, I, I totally cover it in the book. And I'm not saying that you can predict it. I'm not saying you'll know the hour and the day. But there's a difference between knowing exactness where people claim that, well, he's coming back on September 15th or this. And that's all lunacy. Mm-hmm. But I was very clear that you can you can start recognizing that it's near. Right. And preparing well, for it. Yeah. The Bible even mentions about Noah in those circumstances. Right. Noah didn't know when it was going to start to rain. He didn't know the hour and a day when it was going to rain. But he knew it was getting near. How do you know? Well, let's see, the boat's getting done, the animals are gathering, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's close, right? The same thing, right? Lot, right? It brings up in those same scriptures, Lot, did he know Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed exactly when? No. Did he know it was near? Well, yeah, the angels showed up, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's kind of that, that that idea is, I believe the Bible has given us a pattern and things to look for if you're paying attention you can start off. Yeah. So you wrote in your introduction, you gave us a little bit of the reasoning why you wrote the book. Um, I think we've already touched a little bit on it, but do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I just felt, you know, looking around in the Christian circles I w- w- was in that they were being misled. And I just really felt like, uh, you know, I don't know, a burden or whatnot to just to get people to to look at what might be coming. And again, I think it's really to, you, you know, from a persecution standpoint, 
to know that that's one of the signs. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, and it just felt like it, it, it was necessary to put that down in writing that if you, if, if you have all this information and it, it, to be able to, sh- to share it with others. Um, so that's kind of what led me to writing the, the book more than anything. Cause mm-hmm. like the Bible, you know, light a candle and hide it under a bushel. I mean, if I've got all this stuff laid out and I understand it and I can explain it, I can't shoot any holes in it, right? Neither can anybody else that I've talked to about it. I probably ought to sh- show the world. Yeah. You know, not- and I and I know personally talking to you, you said you, you put all this stuff together as a giant presentation and then you presented it to all these people and said, please tell me where I'm wrong. Right. And nobody could. And- and not only could nobody tell me where I'm wrong, they, they couldn't even begin to tell me where I'm wrong. Now, keep in mind, these are, these are pastors, people that have been in the church for a long time, people mm-hmm. that have, you know, taught pre-tribulation rapture with vigor. You know, basically all they could say is, wow, you've given me a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, then that's the goal. I mean, you ought to think about this stuff. And uh, part of what I, I cover in the book is, you know, the the idea of expectations. And so if you lead people to believe in your congregation that they don't have to worry about any of this end time stuff, and that's not true, you've set the wrong expectation and possibly set them up for a a nasty fall. And so, however, if, if I'm wrong and I say, you ought to be prepared for some of this stuff and how you're going to handle it and start making those decisions in your mind now on how you'll face persecution. Um, you know, then when it comes, you have that expectation already and you're ready and you're prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm wrong and Christ just whisks us out of here without us facing any of that, I haven't harmed the church at all. I'll just get to heaven and say, well, <laughs> I'm glad I got to avoid that piece of nastiness, right? I don't yeah. have to go back and apologize to anybody and say, well, you know, I was wrong and and then you stumbled because I didn't prepare you properly. That, yeah, that, that reminds me of, um, I think it was Thomas Aquinas, but it might have been someone else. Um, it might have been, is it Thomas Kempis? One of those two, I think, who said, you know, if I'm going to live like there is a God, because I'm better off if I live like there is a God and there isn't one than if I live like there isn't a God and there is one. And yeah. that's the same principle. And it's very important um, to to look at that because we could be setting people up for false expectations. And if we do that any time, if you've been around the church, you see a pastor fall into various sins, that is the stuff that damages the church. And when you teach somebody something that turns out to not be correct, that damages the church. And we have to keep that in mind. So, yeah, understanding is very important, I think, in that respect. Yep. And so uh, from here, I think we already touched on the next question I wanted to ask, which is how is understanding your book important today? Um, but is there anything else on that general subject you want to expound on any further? Well, yeah. I mean, I think understanding the book's important because I think it's clear that, just to give you a little hint, I mean, what what I've done is I've taken Matthew 24 and uh, and then the parallel verses in Luke and Mark, and I've stacked them up mm-hmm. to like what you would consider Jesus's answer. And the question that he's answering is, his disciples said, what's the sign of the end of the world and the sign of your coming? Very specific questions. So Jesus says, okay, well, here's the signs. And what I found, what was very interesting was 
when Jesus gave these signs, you lay them all out one next to an, uh, to the other. It's almost like an executive summary. You might you might call it an elevator pitch, right? Here's the things to look out for. And then what I find interesting is, you know, John doesn't record that conversation. However, John is the one that wrote Revelation. Mm-hmm. And so when you start taking the things that Jesus says, here's what to look out for, and you start laying them down on the more more detail on what John provided in, Re- in Revelation, it flows in the same pattern, like w- one after another, in the same sequence. And so it's very interesting that I think that it says, well, you know, this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens, and then I come back for my believers. That's what Jesus says in the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And so and I think it's very clear in Revelations then exactly when that time period is. You know, if you know anything about Revelations amongst the seals and then the trumpets and then the bulls, right, all those judgments, the bulls are the vials that, um, you know, he's very clear on when he says, here's the step in the process on where I come back for my children. And, uh, and, and all of the scripture fits into that. Everything in Thessalonians, in Corinthians 15, you know, everything in the Gospels, everything fits into that timeline. And so I think what's important to understand is not so much that, hey, maybe your doctrine of eminency is wrong, you know, and the pre-tribulation rapture is wrong. I think to under- what to, what's important to understand about, my bo- about the book is to look for these signs. You know, and a lot of people will ask me over the years, do you think we're in the end times? You know, my answer is, I have no idea. <laughs> Right. Because here's the thing is, we haven't really rolled into some of these signs yet. We've only got to maybe the first or second one. But the first or second one is almost in a way it's a historical pattern. You you almost seem to be in the first or second one all the time. Yeah. Oh, now, could things happen and change very quickly? Like where all of a sudden things start happening rapidly? Yeah, that could happen. But until it does, I'm I don't know if we're the last generation or not. I don't know. I, I thought one of your one of your you have a chart in here somewhere. I can't remember exactly where it's at, but uh, you're talking about you know in the end times, many people will come to me, and you actually have a chart of the number of antichrists that have shown up. There it is on page forty two, right? The number of people claiming to be Christ by century, and it's like five, and then many centuries zero, and then maybe two or three, and then all of a sudden in the twentieth century, it peaks up to like you know, 25 or 30 or something. Of course, uh, yeah. John MacArthur said at one point in time, you know, in, in our world, you have, you throw on a robe, throw on some sandals, walk down a beach, call yourself a Moses, you'll have 100 followers in an hour, you know. So, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, you know, and that's that's the, the thing is oftentimes we are seeking to find salvation, but we're not even seeking it from the scriptures, which is where true salvation and light can be found. And uh, that's why reading your book was so refreshing with how much scripture is actually in it. I mean, I think I think there might be more scripture in here than uh, than um, um, not scripture in here. I, I think I mean, it's pretty close. Yeah. You know? Well, I thought I thought that was important. That's one of the things <clears throat> I've always thought some Christian writing is that they'll refer they'll they'll have a bunch of paragraphs they wrote and then they'll reference the scripture, <laughs> but they don't actually write the scripture out. I, I think you got to have the people actually read read the scripture because mm-hmm. i think that changes people's lives is the actual 
is the actual Bible, not me talking about the Bible. Yeah, and that's, as I'm writing my books, I've personally taken that approach as well. I want to cram as much Bible in there as possible, because I'm this fallible human, and the Holy Spirit can work through the Scripture more than it can work through my, my ramblings. You know. And and yeah, and one of the things I did at the end of the book was then I just took all the scriptures that I referenced and I just put them. I did no con, you know, comments. But the the very end of the book, all it is is the scripture references in the same sequence that I presented them throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. want to read through those and say, okay, if I was to read this on my own, just see scripture, what conclusions would I draw? Would it be the same thing that that the author did? You know, me, or would I find uh, a mistake or, you know, something um, that I would change. Mm-hmm. And so, so I give the reader that option to, uh, you know, do their own research, what I, which I highly suggest. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah. So I, I came up with another question I didn't, didn't uh, have on my original question list, but as you were talking about this and uh, I personally, um, I've tried to study all of the different eschatological views, and I like I legitimately give me the best answer for pre-tribulation rapture. And so I went in, I got this giant paper from a seminary paper, uh, and and I'll point out a, a Calvinist seminary paper because that's important. Because if you study the Calvinism Arminianism debate, the um, Calvinists will assault the Arminianists on the basis that they're making emotional arguments, but the best the same seminary could give me on pre-tribulation is the emotional argument that God will not put us through suffering, which I just don't find in my scripture. But in scope of studying the pre-tribulation rapture, they'll often, I will often hear a statement that you know Matthew 24 is the most misunderstood chapter, but they don't tell me why it's misunderstood. Uh, can you comment on that? Is this really that misunderstood, or um, what's going on with this viewpoint, uh, if you have uh, any comment on that? Uh, sure. I, I would agree that people read Matthew 24, and they're not sure how to handle it. You know, I've run into, subsequently to write in the book, have run into a number of people that say Matthew 24 has already happened, that Jesus is talking about, you know, destruction of Jerusalem that's, that ended up happening in 70 A.D., and um, and so I happen to disagree with that. Um, you know, I can see how some of the things that are written in Matthew 24 uh, d- definitely look like Jer- the destruction of Jerusalem. And, you know, sometimes in prophecy in the Bible, they're fulfilled on a number of occasions, you know, not just fulfilled once, but fulfilled a couple different times. So I think that's where the confusion lies. However, if you look at the verses in Matthew 24, and again in Luke and also in Mark, there's very specific statements that dispel that notion that, A, it already happened, mm-hmm. right? And, and some of those statements are, is Jesus specifically said, this will come upon the whole entire world as a snare. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jerusalem is not the whole entire world. He makes a statement of, it will be so bad that there will be nothing to compare to this time frame in history, ever, and it will never be repeated, and so a destruction of an ancient city, I mean, ancient cities were destroyed all the time. You can't tell me that was the worst thing to ever happen to humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so there's some certain things there. Oh, and by the way, he says, oh, and then I'm going to, there'll be lightning and lightning across the skies, and I'll send my angels to gather my elect from the four corners of the wind. I'm pretty sure that didn't happen in 70 AD either. Yeah, probably I mean, so not. There, yeah. So there's some things in there that are very specific that you, that, like I said before, is, 
if you if you have a per, end times perspective, but then some verses don't fit, you, you got to really consider why they don't fit. Maybe you're wrong, right? Take a look at what he's being said. And then also, he was answering the question, going back to this again, what's the sign you're coming in the end of the world? He didn't answer that with, here's the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus, I believe, was answering the specific question mm-hmm. that he Right. And so. So, yeah. So I think that's important to to know about that Matthew 24. And, and I and I use it. But again, I invite the reader to take a look at that and the specific words that are said. And if you're one of those folks that believes, wow, this has already happened. You know, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that the angels came and gathered as elect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're still here and we're not seeing left behind play out in our modern society. Well, I haven't seen it even in history anywhere. <clears throat> yeah, correct. Recorded. So. Correct. Um, so are there any questions that I missed that you might want to talk about? Uh, you know, I can't think of any. All right. I, mean, well, I, I guess I did good, my, my uh, due diligence today. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the book, yeah. of course, is called Rapture Delayed. And uh, where can we find this book if we want to pick up a copy of it? Yeah, probably the easiest place is Amazon. Okay. And so it's available f- for sale on Amazon. And there's a Kindle version out there. Okay. So there's Kindle. That is there. Are you on other bookstores as well? I didn't double check, uh, but. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I haven't really uh, looked. There was a okay. time, but I know, I know for sure Amazon's one I checked to make sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I know from an author that's where you're going to make most of your sales anyway is on Amazon. So head yeah. on over to Amazon, and I will have a link to the book in the description to this podcast or video, whichever way you are consuming it down below. Uh, any final parting words before we jump off? Nope, I appreciate it, Tom. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. Books and offers featured in this podcast are linked in the description. You can find this book and others at our bookstore at owicpub.com slash bookstore.